Welcome to the Chicago Bears Podcast. A presentation of ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. Here's your host, Pat, the designer. Bear Down Bears fans, welcome in to a Tuesday edition of the Chicago Bears podcast. And my God, we actually have something to break down with tangible players on the field. Courtney Cronin's in the building. She was at OTAs. Courtney, what's going on? It is really nice that we have laid eyes on the full squad, or at least most of it. There were a couple subtractions and a couple absences during their second OTA practice, which was the first one we got to watch. But it's the part of the offseason that just drags. And once you get to OTAs, you can finally see how these pieces are at the very beginning starting to fit together. So, yes, I'm with you. It's nice that we finally have real things to talk about. No more dreaming. We got a lot to get into, a lot of breakdown. Talk with Courtney about what she saw on the field, some of the players that were there, some of the players that weren't there. Got to get into that as well. And then uh, just looking at some of the things that uh, we that Justin Fields talked about, Coach Flues talked about, all that and more on today's episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Let's get into the first quarter, Courtney, because we got a lot. First things first, right? Here's my first thing in the first quarter. Who's the mic guy in the press room? Who's the mic guy? He's got to get <laughs> like, listen, if we're going to be a Super Bowl caliber team, the mic guy's got to get on his job a little bit quicker because this, this is how it sounds to the rest of us. <laughs> Darnell, right? Yeah, I love Darnell. He's a he's a really good guy. And uh, I mean, like, who's the Mike guy out here? You know, this is not the first time I have been asked this question to track down whoever's running the AV for uh, the Chicago Bears in that yeah. media room. But no, it's you're not the first person, Pat, to bring that up. And I, I, I know that is difficult to hear, but there were a lot of questions asked. I, I asked a bunch. So I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm happy to elaborate on what the questions actually were. If you have the answers you, you yeah. want to talk about. That's how we're going to do this every press conference from now on. I will just reread you the answers and you tell me what the question is. That's the more important part. I'll be like Sean McVay. Like when they remember that time at training camp where they were asking yeah. him to rattle off plays from like, you know, five years ago. Oh, Oh, that was this XYZ. Yeah. Oh, that was Pat Finley asking this question. No, that that's what I'll do. That's my job. I will make sure that I like can just be like straight up rain man and be like, oh yeah, that was a question asked at minute 308. And that was Tremaine Edmonds talking about the culture inside this organization versus the Bills and et cetera, et cetera. That's that's my job now. Hey, I love it. I love it. I think we've got a good rapport here. We're going to have a dominant podcast. Got to be able to get that deposit for the for the uh, the fun house that's going to happen uh, later down the line. Uh, the one thing that we do want to talk about as we get into this, because there were a lot of uh, a good amount of show up for uh, or turnout for the OTAs. It is voluntary, but there were some noticeable guys that weren't there today. Number one on the list probably is Jalen Johnson. Mm-hmm. What was the sense that you got? Um, is this a contract issue? Is this just it was simply a voluntary thing and I didn't want to come? Or is Jalen Johnson kind of drawing an initial line in the sand here? What are your thoughts? Well, we know it's not injury related because Matt Eberflus was asked directly about the hand injury that Jalen Johnson sustained. It was late in December and he was put on IR December 23rd and we didn't see him again. Um, It was not related to that because if it's an injury at this time of year, coaches technically do not have to say anything about it, but Flus did not teeter the line of, no, I'm not just going to say anything whatsoever. He said that with that hand, he felt like Jalen Johnson was good to go. So the overarching thing that you get from many coaches, Matt Eberflus included, is that this is the voluntary part of the offseason program. And whether this is going to affect the mandatory part of the offseason program, which is minicamp yeah. uh, in the beginning of June, remains to be seen but I think like more than anything I'm gonna pull up this quote like with Jalen Johnson um and with you know there were a couple other absences he was obviously the notable one because he is entering a contract year we do know that hearing from him at the Super Bowl that he expected that contract talks would end up picking up at some point in the near future it's May 23rd and he does not have a new deal no new deals have been struck for any of the current Bears players who are in line to get new deals whether it's him whether it's Cole Komet um neither of those players have have you know secured their future beyond the 2023 season in in Chicago so 
it's it's interesting because I do think that with what Justin Fields was just talking about it kind of from like a very, you know, 30,000 foot level, like, do you feel that you have a responsibility to make sure guys are here for, you know, this workout? And he said, not really. The only guys that he felt really needed to be here were the new players and, you know, the younger players to learn the offense. But with vets and he brought up Jalen Johnson, those guys who have proven themselves on the field. Um, you know, he said that he knows what he can do on the field. He's proven it many times against top receivers and that he's quote, not really worried about it too much. So, the Bears went through this with Roquan Smith. And, you know, what's different is Roquan actually showed up for the offseason program last year. Like he did his part. It was training camp that he ends up getting put on the pup list and all of that crazy stuff that happened, which the Bears don't want to go through again. And I think what Eberflu said just about, do you think it could get potentially to that level? You just went through this a year ago. The guy's here and holding in, um, Roquan Smith, that is. Does it used to be like it's teetering on that edge with Jalen Johnson? And I don't think it's there just yet. I mean, again, this is the... You know, the thing with off with like it's it's voluntary in nature, but it's not really because if you're not there, you stand out like unless there's, you know, a birth of a child, an injury. I'm thinking of other things that I've, you know, covered in my years covering the NFL of why guys miss the offseason program. If it's not something that, you know, is a clear cut, like this is the reason he's not here, then it does kind of raise a little bit of a I don't want to say a red flag, but. It does, it does raise some eyebrows. So because his is not injury-related and because he's in a contract year, we're going to be talking about that. And I did think it was interesting because Nate Davis is not here, and there was no indication that it's injury-related with him. He is one of those guys that Justin Fields was referring to, you know, a new player in this offense, and he and Fields expects players that are new and rookies to be here to learn the offense like Nate Davis wasn't here today. And so is that potentially, I mean, he signed his contract uh, back in March during free agency. Is that potentially something that's a little concerning? Cause that one didn't make a whole ton of sense. And then of course the other ones, um, you know, with the injury, with the injuries that Darnell Mooney dealt with last year in the same game, Eddie Jackson goes out with the Liz Frank. Um, it, you know, Eberflus didn't give a timeline and he's not going to because it's early, you know, it's middle of May and they still have time before training camp. But he said that, you know, they're progressing the way that they need to be. So I think that's really all you can kind of look into from that perspective right now about, how much longer it's going to take for those guys to come back. I would not anticipate either of them uh, here for the offseason program. The biggest concern that I would say with with the Jalen Johnson situation is the fact that uh, Tyreek Stevenson, for what we're hearing, Mm Seems like he came out and he's adjusting really well. It was it was funny to hear Flus go, you know, he asked him, you know, how are how the new guys um, you know, acclimated themselves. Have you noticed a lot of the rookies knows what he said? Uh, uh, we're really in their books and, and knowing the system on the offseason program. And he's like, I'm not going to give individual praise and then proceeded to give four <laughs> guys individual praise. Love that. But uh, Tyree Stevenson was one of the guys that he brought up. And is that a potential where you look at Jalen Johnson and say, hey, bud, like this might be the not, this night might not be the time that you want to miss because there is a young guy who is coming in, is kind of making his waves in a Mm -hmm. way that they weren't expecting maybe right away, that could be your spot right there. It's interesting because I remember when they drafted Stevenson, and if you use a third-round pick on a cornerback, that's somebody that you expect to contribute pretty early on, knowing how thin they are still at that position. And I think it's twofold. I think that, of course, they need a depth at the spot at that position, like starting depth. Like they need somebody else, probably not Kendall Vildor, to to play the outside cornerback spot opposite Jalen Johnson. But it could also be a precursor to, hey, we might not be in. In in this is you know just a you know theory that I have like that. If, if they're not sold on Jalen Johnson, if they don't want to pay him right now, if they're saying, hey, we want to see that interception total because it's been low the last couple of years. If we want to see that tick up. Which, which one we... is your favorite? <laughs> Good point. Um, if they want to see that number go to a certain threshold before they're willing to pay him. And if it doesn't, then you've got the next guy right in line. Like it's a great contingency plan, assuming Tyreek Stevenson works out and we know that they're going to be starting to work him on the outside. Um, He has some slot flexibility, but I think that's a, that's a job for Kyler Gordon and they're, and they're happy with Kyler Gordon and his progression after the first year and where it could go. But 
it'll be really interesting to see. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a bad thing for Johnson and, and like, oh, you better not miss any more of the offseason program. There's this guy who's going to come steal your job because not right now. Like that's a that's a conversation maybe for you know if there was more if there were more cornerbacks back there. There just there just really isn't. So I don't think him not being here is hurting him by any stretch in terms of the contract negotiations. It's just been really quiet on that front. And this is the first off season we've had where we knew the staff had players that were eligible for extensions that they were going to pay. It wasn't a Roquan Smith situation. It wasn't, you know, um, anybody, you know, Khalil Mack, uh, Robert, you know, uh, Robert Quinn, any of those where you knew they were probably on the outside looking in with this organization. Those are two players that you could, you know, in a lot of ways build around and we'll see how they want to do that. But we don't have any sort of basis to go off of, of when the bears like to do contract extensions. I remember when I covered the Vikings, you could always expect that the, they would always reward guys early. So about like two to three years in a deal, somebody had outperformed their contract. You knew January, or excuse me, July 24th, 25th, those new extensions were coming. We don't have a feel for how polls is going to operate like that yet. If it's going to be an early off season as of right now, or something closer to training camp. Yeah, it, it was, it was interesting to see a lot of the guys that weren't there, but I was actually surprised by one of the names that we heard about being there because we haven't heard much about him at all. Lucas Patrick apparently was in the building. Shout out to Lucas Patrick working his way back and looked like they, they were trying him out a little bit of guard just based off of uh, what I gleaned from the questioning. Uh, how did Lucas Patrick look being back on the field? Well, it's hard to tell because we were way at the other end. Uh, <laughs> where, where are they the putting field. you guys now? Where are they throwing? So, be, so they were on fields three and four, which are the outside fields, right. and uh, like the furthest ones away near the Walter Payton Center. And like we were in the bait, we were on the side, like the end zone, um, the farthest end zone. But you know where those train tracks are. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we we're way over there, so you can't really see a whole bunch. But you did, you were able to see, and of course, the Nate Davis absence today factors in here as to why there was um, some switching at right guard. Jatari Carter was getting, you know, those reps along with Lucas Patrick, and they were splitting with the ones. And you know, outside of that position, the offensive line with the first team more or less stayed the same where you have Braxton Jones at left tackle. No brainer. Tevin Jenkins, they said was going to play playing left guard. He's playing left guard, Cody Whitehair at center. And that might be an easier position, um, you know, an easier fit for him to go from guard back to center. That's what I got from Matt Eberflus. And then Darnell Wright is the right tackle on this team. There's no question about it. You don't draft a guy 10th overall and expect him to have to work his way in. I mean, hell you had Braxton Jones as a fifth round <laughs> rookie last year, um, earning that left guard spot and left tackle spot and never giving it back. But it's, um, I'm curious to see for Lucas Patrick, because we know that that's only, you know, we expect it only to be to be able to see him right there and Jatari Carter right there because Nate Davis wasn't here. If Nate Davis is here, is is Lucas Patrick a backup? Is he potentially, you know, really good depth for you uh, between the center and guard spots? We know that he has flexibility with both, but what a turn of events for somebody who they brought in last year to be their starting center and injuries in one season may or may not have knocked him out of that role completely. Is is it a concern that he could still be dealing with the injury or is it that he's just, because I, I, I guess I, I don't have much to go off of the four plays he played in the Patriots game. He actually looked like a really good center and what he did with the Packers. He looked like a, a really good center but it feels like they've just given that job to Cody Whitehair, even though he has played center before. Uh, it, it just feels like, okay, this is Cody's job, and, and Lucas is kind of the odd man looking in. I think that it's Whitehair's job to lose for a number of reasons. The experience that he has at center, um, the lack of injuries. I mean, last year was his first stint ever. I'm 99% sure on injured reserve, which, yeah, well, you know, that bodes well. And on top of that, it's con- you know contractually you have to justify that contract. In any other year, that's a salary cap casualty or that's a restructure. But the fact that he has the second highest cap hit on this team, he's the longest tenured player way be- before this regime. Um, you've got to justify why you're paying somebody you know double digits to be playing uh, center and, and you're going to be playing on the offensive line and not a premier spot at tackle. So that's one that I, I viewed as kind of. 
he have to read between the lines there of what they want to do. Of course, you, you want to have the best starting five out there, and they will. Um, injuries affected this line, as we saw from like the very start of training camp. So they want to make sure they have the depth there. Lucas Patrick may just be better served in a role where – if they do, and they will, because it happens. If they do have to switch things around, you have a quality backup versus somebody that you're paying a lot of money to, and you might as well justify that paycheck by having the guy start at center because you think he is a better center. Yeah, I, I, I like the what you said about the durability too, because the one thing you don't want that we saw last season from your center position is, all right, throw this guy in there now. All right, mm-hmm. throw this guy in there now. I, I, I do like the fact that it, they feel, it feels like they're at least acknowledging the center to quarterback connection and the yes. importance of it. So yeah. I do like that as well. Did did you see your doppelganger Sam Mustafer signed with the Baltimore Ravens? Did I you did see, see that? I did see that he signed with the Ravens. I also sent out a tweet immediately after saying that I will be showing up for Lamar's funeral uh, <laughs> because he uh, you got my bad. You always got to watch your back when you talk about Sam Mustafer because Olin Krutz might be right around the corner. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Just playing, Olin. I love you. I love you, dog. Please don't don't hurt me. Uh, but no, I, I I did see that, and uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'm I'm impressed that I I guess that tells you kind of sometimes those PFF numbers work in your favor. I'll say that. Uh, let's get into the second quarter. Second quarter. Because we do got to talk about the quarterback connection and what this uh, what this offense is looking like mm-hmm. very, very, very early on. We all have to say this, right? Because this is the time of year where if Justin Fields throws an interception, it's like, I told you guys, he has no accuracy. He's not a quarterback. And if he throws a touchdown, he's the next Tom Brady. You know what I mean? So, but. We did hear a lot about the fields to DJ more connection, more so today than yesterday. Justin said it was just because kind of there were more plays drawn up for DJ. What did you see out of that connection? What did you see? Does it feel like they're gelling early and that mm-hmm. DJ is the clear cut number one? I mean, he is the clear cut number one. And I asked Fields about something that Tyke Tolbert said two weeks ago at rookie camp that this is a group where you have more established wide receivers. Like you're not trying to figure out what guys can do and what they can't do. Like, you know what you have and naturally that's going to help the quarterback. And, you know, Fields knows that DJ Moore is your one. He's your ex. He's playing outside. And you know, the deep ball connection that we saw today, once one, one memorable one during, you know, there's throwing routes on air uh, during the individual period. And then of course the deep ball down, down the far sideline, in um you know in in the team period in 11 on 11 was a beautiful catch and i you know single coverage for for dj Moore there and, and listening to him kind of break down what happened um how it worked and hearing field say like how does this guy get separation how does he you know the speed element there is so critical pat because and i thought fields said this perfectly that he's never going to be running 100 percent on any given route because he yeah. has that extra gear that he can kick in and accelerate and be able to, to, to find that space between himself and the defensive back to, you know, give the, give his quarterback a more clean target. Who can you say did that exact same thing on last year's roster? You can't. So I think naturally you have a quarterback who's really excited Um and about the potential of what this receiver group can be. But it starts with someone like DJ Moore, who they brought in for a reason. And it's not just to elevate that room that you have a receipt. You can have a receiver that has, you know, more than 493 receiving yards. It's, it's to help. It's to give your quarterback a security blanket yeah. to give him the guy that he trusts, you know, to be able to throw to a spot, because that's one reason it all correlates. Like last year, the big question going into training camp, at least or going into the, you know, the season was, Will Justin Fields be able to get rid of the ball faster? Is it on the offensive line? Is it on the receivers not, you know, not creating separation, not getting to where they need to be? And the answer is yes to all of it. But I think for Fields to be able to trust he can throw a guy open and throw to a spot and that his guy is going to get there, he didn't have that trust last year. It was it was evident in what showed up on film. So he has that now in the very early stages, and he's building that with DJ Moore. So I think you know, for the fact that they were both very honest and, and, and more too uh, about how, yeah, yesterday was, you know, it's a work in progress. Yesterday was today's definitely better than yesterday. That stuff matters because they're building upon something and you just don't have to guess about who's going to be what in this offense. And 
frankly, the receiver battle to see, do they keep five? Do they keep six on this roster? Knowing what the tight end room is going to look like. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what those two, who gets those one or two bottom spots, because it feels like the depth chart, at least on paper right now is pretty much set for some of the more premier uh, predominant receiver roles. I was cracking up because like, you know, whenever uh, there's a new connection, it's always, Oh man, we love each other. It's the greatest thing. When you guys ask, you know, what's the, what's the relationship like? Oh man, he's my best friend. Hey, <laughs> DJ, DJ was just honest. He was like, I mean, it's working. You know I mean? Hey, we get, we getting it together. Like, you know, I, I like him. <laughs> like, I feel like that's the first time I've ever heard somebody do that. Like, normally it's just like, the, oh, I love this guy. He's my favorite. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always watched him from afar. DJ was just so honest. He was like, I ain't really pay attention to him last season at all, uh, except when we played him. So shout out to him. He he looked good for this season. <laughs> yeah. And, and I asked him about that because – you know, he's coming in as a, as you know, a foreigner into this team because he hasn't been around the, the Justin Fields progression of having year one and then having to like undo a bunch of things within his mechanics for year two. And now where he's at in year three, like this is his first look up close at Justin Fields. And he really hasn't, he doesn't have anything, any, if there was any sort of like bias or any sort of thing that like other players have about man fields does this well, he doesn't do this well. DJ Moore is coming in with a clean slate. Like he doesn't know truly what the menu looks like of Justin Fields just yet because he hasn't experienced a full off season, but you know, he feels like he's going to be, I think, what did he say? Like I asked him, he's like, I think he'll be great. You know, this season, like what else is he going to say? Yeah. <laughs> like he came here and I mean, it wasn't his choice. He was traded, but I, it goes back to DJ Moore being able to produce with, whoever the hell is throwing in the ball. I mean, that's that happened in, in his situation in Carolina. I think that you kind of like resign yourself to the fact of that's not something I can control as a wide receiver. And I can't control if Justin Fields is going to be great, if he's going to be good, if he's going to be elite, if he's going to like take a step back. He can't control any of that. All he can do is be the guy who does create that separation to give you the deep threat. Um, but certainly, you know, it's not just that he's like your, your stretch of the field, you know, post route guy. He can do that, but he can, and he knows he's going to have to learn the entire offense and all of the routes that, uh, you know, are part of this tree. He's your number one, though. That is your security blanket for Justin Fields. That's why you made this investment and why trading the number one pick in the way that they did came down to DJ Moore has to be part of this equation or we're not getting a deal done. Does it feel like at, at least at first glance, right? That Justin is a lot more comfortable kind of in this system um, going into year two. We heard him talk about that, that, you know, he, he feels better about the fact that, you know, he can come in and he kind of knows how things are going to go. He understands how OTAs are going to be set up, yeah. different things like that. But does it feel like he's just more comfortable just even early on, right, just going through his progressions, going through mm -hmm. his, his reads and where he needs to be, and, and even just sometimes putting the ball out there and trusting that the receiver is going to be there. Yeah, and, I mean, he said as much. I mean, this is so different for him because, you know, for the first time since he was in college, like, you know, that last year at Ohio State, and, I mean, he had – different quarterbacks coaches back then. Like this is same coach calling the plays, same quarterbacks coach, same offensive coordinator, same offense where last year, that whole term of drinking from a fire hose, I think would have been an accurate representation of everything. Justin Fields was dealing with during OTAs. And remember because of Matt Eberflus getting hired in the new front office, they started OTAs like in April last year, we were out here right before the draft. I think it was like four twenty, and we were, you know, watching them um, and, and watching Justin Fields, like very simple concepts that end up obviously playing a huge role and are not simple uh, in a lot of respects, just of the footwork. Like last year at this time, it was I'm changing the foot I drop back with because all of that times up with when I need to release the ball, where my receiver needs to be um, in his route progression, all of those things. That's it sounds ele it's elementary in the in the standpoint. I mean, obviously, it's very complicated stuff, but it's elementary in the standpoint of he's past that step now. He he's not starting from from ground zero and having to learn something, a whole new language, which offenses are. He gets to come in. All right. I know the offense. I know what plays we ran last year. We're starting to incorporate more plays and they will continue to do that over the next, you know, four or five weeks before they get to the break bef between mini camp and training camp. But, you know, for, for this quarterback, the belief the team has in him, the fact that he's here 
in his third year and he knows what's going to be asked of him that like there's a comfort level to, Hey, I've done this before. I know what's, what's required of me to play quarterback in this offense. And by the way, the team has invested in me. It's very clear by the additions that they made. And that's not lost on fields. I think that that really, you know, that sort of backing too has him probably walking in here. I mean, he's a very confident human being and, and a leader of this team. The bears know that. And that's something that I think they, they knew not long into last season that he was probably the guy from that respect, but from, for his progression as a quarterback and what's next, you don't have to like relearn everything and then be playing catch up when it comes time to get to training camp. He's in a spot now where he has mastered so many of like the beginning steps and he can then like pick up with a new chapter uh, once they get to training camp. How are we feeling about uh, Chase Claypool and understanding this playbook? I I heard that ass as well, but I, I think that's the biggest concern because, uh, like another one of my doppelgangers, I told Ryan Poles basically to go out and get him, and he gets him <laughs> like two days later. So, uh, yeah, everybody's looking at me like, you did this to us. Um, is Chase Claypool look like he's at least understanding, knowing where to line up, turning himself back into that guy that we hoped to see? So my first impression of him today, and this is going to sound dumb, but like I didn't, he's six, four, he's listed as six, four on the, on the roster. He looks so much taller in person than I remembered. And I know that at 24 years old, however old he is, he didn't have a growth spurt. At least I don't, I think that your gender probably ends their growth spurt a little bit sooner than that. I think we can um, grow. How long can we grow? He all the way to like 25, I think. Actually. Okay. Maybe Dang grow again. Maybe. Maybe he grew an inch. I don't know. I just remember like thinking to myself and I asked a couple of the beat writers, I'm like, does he look taller to you or am I, (laughs) did I get shorter? Did my perspective change? So from the physical part, he looks every bit of the, of, of the receiver that they, that they brought in and fields answered a question that I asked about the mechanics, going back to like the footwork, like now that you mastered that part, what's the next technical thing that you want to do? Like what you really want to focus on. And he said, of course, like it's just going faster and mastering all of that, getting on the same page with his guys and working guys in. And he specifically mentioned Chase Claypool, which I thought was interesting because you'll remember one of the lasting images of the, you know, the season last year was the game in Detroit where he's having a meltdown on the sideline and fields, um, you know, goes up to him and says something to him. And, and it was very honest about that afterwards about like, what he had to do to kind of like regain control of that situation. And then, you know, the, the, the interceptions that, um, you know, Tim Boyle threw at the end of, of the, the week 18 game. And I believe that Claypool was targeted on both of those. And to my understanding, Claypool ran the wrong route uh, on those interceptions. So that's, you know, that part of Chase Claypool is our lasting memory of what he looked like during the 2022 season. How Justin Fields was talking about him makes it sound like this is somebody who got refreshed this offseason, that his work ethic is, is really, really good, that his, he has an attitude change. Those are direct words that Justin Fields used, and I, I think that's pretty powerful. When your quarterback is saying, noting this change in you, and that you are, you know, the the, the – the improvement from last year to now, six months ago, it was a completely different player trying to learn this offense. And I think there have been some excuses given to Chase Claypool of, oh, well, he got here in November. He didn't have time to learn the whole playbook. And different positions require different things. Um, you know, because I, I remember like last year when when Baker Mayfield like slept for like five minutes uh, on the plane going to Los Angeles. And then they end up, I believe, winning that game on yeah. Thursday night football after he was traded. Like people are like, oh, well, how come Baker Mayfield can pick up a whole offense? He's a quarterback. He needs to know more than just like, you know, running around. And then how come Chase Claypool can't do it? Like those excuses were, are null and void now. Whatever they were last year, whether any, there's any validity to that is is gone. And yeah. so, you know, I, I really believe that this will be such a pivotal year for him, not just from a contract perspective, because he was a 2020 draft pick, so he's eligible um, in year four to get that extension. They've got to see him produce. So I think when you hear from guys about receivers and quarterbacks about the offseason, that it's, you know, it's not just like getting to know guys on the field. It's building that trust off of it. We saw you know, several things where Justin Fields and Chase Claypool have, you know, been out together. Um, they went to that Bulls game right after DJ Moore was traded here and and everything like that, I think matters because 
Fields needs to know that he can trust this guy to get open, to do his job, and to have an attitude that isn't going to tear the locker room apart. Because when you're on a 3-14 and 14 team, and hopefully for their sake they're not repeating that, you can't have a locker room cancer. You can't have somebody whose attitude, if it's negative, it's going to affect the rest of the receiver room and what you're trying to build. No, yeah, it did, it did feel like... I, I do like how Justin took control of that, and it seems like he's kind of taken, I don't want to say taking Chase Claypool under his wing, like he's the vet on the team, but kind of it, it does feel like that where we've come into this season with Chase Claypool's got to perform, but maybe he's the one who we don't really have a clear-cut position for, but it sounds like just hearing from Justin today that you know he, Chase is going to be a major part of this offense, maybe even more so than Darnell Mooney off the bat just because of the size mm-hmm. of the ability to go up and, so, and see it. So we'll see what we get out of them. Let's keep this thing moving along because it's halftime, Courtney, my favorite time always, especially with you, because you always have nuggets and fun things. Speaking of nuggets, the Denver Nuggets oh, won last night. They did. They <laughs> did. And LeBron started some unnecessary drama. Like the whole idea that he's not coming back, Pat. Do you buy into it? Do buy it for a second. I think it's BS. LeBron will be back. We have been told, I don't know how many times, that he's playing with Bronny. He's 38. Got to make it two more years so Bronny can go his one year at USC and then he can get into the league. I think this was LeBron's last conference finals. I don't think he's done in the NBA. I think he will end up playing next year because this is somebody who – like. I know his feet are all tore up too. I mean, he had yeah. plantar fascia, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. on both feet, which is I can't imagine like not being able to to plant normally and, and to play through that sort of pain. But I, it's a talking point, and thank God for it because we have so many days in between. Uh, like that, you know, that series ending. I believe that the Celtics are going to lose tonight again too. So two sweeps, so history on the line. But we have so much time in between the conference finals and the NBA finals that we need this LeBron drama to, to percolate a little bit so we can have something to talk about. It's so funny because I, I watched everybody last night after LeBron said, and it was like, well, why would he retire? Why is this? Why would he ever walk away from the game? First off, cause he's 38, but I, and I don't think he's going to retire just yet, but I think next season is the feeling out season where he starts to ask himself, do I keep playing if I can't keep being LeBron? And even dealing with everything he's dealt with, LeBron's dealt with injury in the playoffs before, different things like that. He didn't look like the same LeBron. Still looked like one of the most dominant players you've ever seen, Mm -hmm. but he didn't look like the same LeBron James, and he couldn't put the team on his back and put him over the top. Uh, So I think that maybe there's something there. I don't know. Maybe next season we see a – who was it? Was it Vontae Davis? Wasn't it Vontae Davis that did that? Like (laughs) middle of a game? He was like, hey, yo, I'm done. Literally the middle of a game. I don't don't think LeBron would do that. But I do think, you know, we we don't like load management. But I think that's the only way. Like if LeBron comes back, there will be a lot of that. And people will whine about it. And and I understand. I, I get it. And people will say, oh, well, you should take a break. You know, he's not going to have a Udonis Haslam-esque final season (laughs) where he plays seven games, but his body, he's human. This series showed that he's mortal. And I don't, you know, people were giving him hell for that, his last shot, like that banked off the the side of the backboard and the look that he got there. Like, this is... I don't know. Like they shouldn't have been in this spot in the first place. They had 55 to one odds. I want to say at the trade deadline to make it to the NBA finals. And the fact that they got this far to the conference finals with the completely reworked roster where you have some one dimensional players, um, you know, that they ended up trading for. I mean, D'Angelo Russell gives you offense. Jared Vanderbilt gives you defense. Like, they made it work the way that they had to, but nobody expected them to be here. So I can't I can't buy into this BS that, oh, my God, this is legacy-defining for LeBron. <laughs> they weren't supposed to be here in the first place, and he's 38 years old. This is not the same LeBron who had Kyrie Irving, uh, you know, teamed up with him which is a whole nother can of worms, uh, you know, to, to come back from three, from, you know, three, one deficit yeah. against the warriors in 16, he was many years younger. That was seven years ago. And he had a true star playing next to him. So if Kyrie ends up in LA, I know you saw him on the on court side, just like I did. 
I don't know how that's going to work. I guess bygones are bygones and everybody's fine and we love each other again. But, um, you know, that's, man, hey, that one is. We, uh, got, we got plenty to talk about this offseason. That's all yes, I know. That, that's what gets me the excited. The offseason is fantastic. It just, it's a story, storylines upon storylines, the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, it is. Because every year it's just like immediately, as soon as you think it dies down, it's just like Kevin Durant hates somebody again. <laughs> like, oh, here we go. We're back in, baby. Let's go. Katie hates somebody. Uh, let's keep this thing going. Let's get into the second half here, Courtney, because. Third quarter. There's still so much from OTAs to break down. This is my this is the, again second favorite time of year, probably outside of NBA offseason, is early on. One because I still have hope in my team. Um, and as you're looking at what we saw, kind of coming in to OTAs, now actually getting to see that first couple of well, you guys only saw today, right? They didn't let you in yesterday, yes, but seeing today. Um, what do you think the top position battles are to really keep an eye on coming into OTAs? Receiver for like I was trying to do the depth chart in my head today. Like it, it's say you, you 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 know tell me I need to give you the five or the six. So of course it's DJ Moore, Chase Claypool, Darnell Mooney, Tyler Scott, and then. From there, it's anybody's guess. Yeah. Like we saw Valus Jones get some good run today. Um, the new kickoff rule will be very interesting to see how that affects him because yeah. I don't think that there's going to be too many of those um, taken out. So I I wonder what his role on special teams will become. Will they do? Will they try him on punt return? Will they do stuff like that to get him there? So between him and, and, and of course, I think five, I need to put five on there. Um, Equinemius St. Brown almost forgot about him. I mean, they re-signed him to that deal in December because he's a culture guy here. Like he was with uh, Luke Getze in Green Bay. He, he blocks with intent. He's that he, you know, that job is not above him. They need somebody like that because they're a dominant rushing team. So there's my five. Who's your six? Like that to me is just wild to think about that. Valus Jones may not make this roster. Dante Pettis, you know, he could be yeah. competing with him um, for the sixth spot because in the fact that that's not a lock, that was a third round pick from a year ago. And I said this earlier uh, in one of our earlier shows after the draft, I think that Tyler Scott was a course correct for, for that move um, because of the speed and because he has higher upside and he's younger. Um, you know, Valus just turned 26 years old. So that one, even though like the majority of that room feels like it's set, that one is is at the top of the list for me. Of course, um, the running back room. Like if Roshan Johnson is all that in a bag of chips, and you know the buffet too that they have they have sold us on that he is the greatest thing that they've ever drafted. Yeah. Um, and I know there's some hyperbole in there, at least in in how I'm talking about it. But really, like listen to how they talk about this guy. The running back room is going to be like so we just went and got Barry Sanders. <laughs> Like that's really how they're talking about pillar of the franchise. Like I've never heard of a player who was drafted five seconds ago being referred to as somebody with that potential. But we, you know, today in OTAs, you get to see, you know, what the running backs and and this is a very early part of the install, but like some of the, you know, running backs catching passes out of the backfield being utilized, um, you know, in the screen game, you know, Khalil Herbert did some Deontay Foreman did some, and to watch Roshan Johnson next as he continues to get more incorporated into this offense, what is that going to look like? Because I I think that that's going to be one of the more intriguing position battles as we get going into training camp. Like, who is the number one running back? And is the person who might start the season as a number one running back, will that person be there for that long? Or could a Roshan Johnson potentially supplant him? Did it feel like Andrew Billings was the clear-cut number one option on that defensive tackle? I heard Tremaine Edmonds talking about him. Yeah. He just—he literally just went big dude. Like, I mean, huge. <laughs> I mean, huge. I actually, I thought that, like, uh, he's big, and I mean, I expect he's a nose tackle. But like right. Zach Pickens, I remember seeing him at the podium and seeing him in rookie minicamp. But like, we were kind of up close to where they were doing um, some sled work, and I was like, oh my god, this guy's huge! Like he was bigger <laughs> than I thought, and so. They have numbers there. So like that part where you go back to what Alan Williams said about the three technique and that Justin Jones is their three technique right now. That could have, that could have either been like two things. That's either a cry for help to the front office that if you want us to go into the season with this three tech, this guy playing three technique, because I don't believe that anybody else is equipped just yet to do that. Like go sign somebody or it's, 
it's their belief that they have enough bodies there right now and that somebody, whether it's Gervon Dexter, whether it's Zach Pickens, um, you know, will end up like fighting for that role. But they that they like the competition that they have there. But obviously, I mean, Billings, you know, is a, is a pretty good run, is a good run stopper. And the sack numbers aren't there, but they don't have to be because that wasn't you know the role. That's not the role he plays in, right. in defenses. Like that's you're not having him on the field for obvious passing downs. So I I I do think that that is. For Tremaine Edmonds to come to a team where you have somebody who's going to be your first line of defense, so you just don't have free rushers coming at you twenty four seven. Like that's important for a linebacker. That's something that really is going to like pique their interest. So I don't know if I put any stock in stock into that, other than like that. Those are first impressions, and because because I, I do anticipate like that being one of the position battles that we'll be looking at at camp too. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see because especially right, like I feel like the Bears. I don't know if they went out and they got the best guys to make this defense a top five defense again. I'm not going to go out and say that, but I do think that they addressed a serious need that was an issue last season, and that was stopping anybody with the run game. Like we were sitting there making, you know, backup running backs look like the greatest running backs of all time last season. So it, it, it's good to see that it's addressed, and and I, I I like that at least early on Tremaine Edmonds felt comfortable. With it, uh, he he actually ended up getting a little pick on uh, PJ yeah. Walker out here. Shout mm-hmm. out to him making an early impact. Uh, yeah, was was that a uh, was a him play or did everybody else make that play happen? No, that was him. I mean, he is a read and react sort of moment. They were in their two minute end of half scenario and they were down in the red zone. So, like, this is something that Matt Eberflew said is going to be part of practice pretty much every day over the next ten OTA practices that they have and. Um, I thought that that was, you know, again, we were at the far end of the field, but from what, what you could see, and it was PJ Walker who, who threw the pick yes. and, and Edmonds, um, the way that he disguised the coverage and then read what the play was and, and was in the right spot to make that happen. Just a good sign. Again, this is early on, but like to see those sorts of moments because, you know, in, in seven on seven, Eberflew said, and that was obviously team, that was 11 on 11, but in seven on seven, the ball should never hit the ground because they're not in that spot yet. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to like go all in and say, wow, the defense is so ahead of the offense because there were a couple of moments like that today. It wasn't just, I mean, the Tremaine Edmonds one was the last one we saw and it was kind of the splash play because he and the rest of the defense ran the entire other way, um, you know, thinking it was a pick, you know, believing it was a pick six. So it, it's a good moment, um, but I do, you know, this de- defense typically comes together a little bit more quickly. I think during the off season, you're able to kind of like say, oh, that unit looks like, you know, it, it looks like it's in a better spot. But my biggest takeaway from Tremaine Edmonds and, um, you know, TJ Edwards was what Justin Fields said about them like that. And he was asked about like the, the faith that this team has in him and like all of the acquisitions that they made for him to succeed in like, when he's talking about we have guys who love football, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, TJ Edwards and Tremaine Edmonds are, they're here every day. They're in the, in the training room, getting their prehab, all this at stuff, but they bring a work ethic and an energy that fields called contagious. Those are guys on the other side of the ball. And he's saying that's spreading to the entire team. So I think it's a really good sign that someone, two players who came from organizations that were perennial playoff contenders. I mean, the Eagles just went to a Super Bowl. The Bills are always in the playoffs uh, in the last couple of years. That that has a trickle-down effect from where those guys can come in and dedicate that sort of attention to teaching other guys how to get to that level so then the whole team can eventually get there. Yeah, hey, uh, let's let's hope that this whole team does get there. I I like what I'm hearing early on. I like what I'm seeing, and I like the fact that it seems like they actually like each other, right? Like they're going out to do stuff. Like I will say this: having uh, Briggs on, having Hester come on as a guest, Tommy Harris, uh, McKee always in the building. The one thing that I take away from them on that 05 team is like they genuinely still like each other. And it tells you how important just having that camaraderie. I mean, that group went to a Super Bowl. Like, you don't get there if you if you hate everybody's guts on yeah. your team. Like, there really is something to be said about close teams that, you know, they 
it for me it starts with the quarterback and you can figure out who I'm talking about but like I've been on I've covered teams where the quarterback hasn't exactly been the most revered human being on the team or hasn't been like the leader Justin Fields without question is that guy and on the defensive side of the ball too you can go back to locker clean out day when Justin Jones like out of nowhere kind of like you know the meme where it's like no one nobody nobody Justin Jones, they need to start drawing up some plays for Justin Fields. We got a playmaker here. You, we can't wait to see what he's what it looks like when he's actually in an off. Like, I think his his phrase was in an actual offense. So I was yes. like, oh my god, when that happened. But like, when you've got a defensive lineman who, frankly, I mean, I know that there's clicks on teams and guys kind of go where their position groups are, but like when they have that much support around the quarterback. Like that's how you start to get this thing off the ground where the beliefs there. And that has to be the most important thing because we know how important that position is. hundred percent. Let's finish it out here. Fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. Quick fourth quarter because Courtney's had a very long day. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it will continue to be long more than likely because now there's going to be so many. You, you got to go write articles about everything that you've just said in here. What you got to do is get that chat GPT, take all of your quotes from here and then just add that. It, I mean, it's perfect. How's that work? Going. See, I need to I need to like do some research into that. I've, I, I don't know enough about the A.I. world, um, but maybe it, maybe we can try it. it. It is terrifying and amazing all at once. That's what I say about it. It's like, oh, like this is great for writing up a podcast or, or helping me with stuff like this. And then it's also like, oh, like the A.I. can just say yes for me and charge a million dollars that I don't have to something. Perfect. Uh, But let's get into the fourth quarter because one thing that I think is going to be very interesting in this NFL season is that Thursday night football flexing Mm -hmm. through week 13 through 17 has been approved and it's going to be a thing. How do you believe that is going to help teams or hurt teams this season? Even with right Flus talking about the mm-hmm. too many buys that the bears are going to have at, because of the Thursday night football, helping him out. Yeah. The flexing thing. I get it. I just find that, you know, for a team that already has two games, like unless they when does it start again? Refresh me. Like when is it week, week fourteen? Week thirteen through 13. seventeen, right, Eo? Okay. So yeah. like they're two games. I'm looking at the schedule now. Washington is away on the fifth of October. That's yeah. week five. And then week ten they have Carolina yeah. um at home. Frankly, their schedule it might be like of any team that does have the two Thursday night games, their schedule might be the best of like a situation that you're going to look at teams and say, you never really can luck out because on one end of that, the front end, you've got a day and a half to prepare for a game. And then you got to trap the travel elements in there too, because they're going to Washington. So like you come off the home game against Denver, you got to turn around and three days later you have to be there because they fly in on the fourth. Right. So like, but after that you have 10 days before you've got Minnesota at home and after the Carolina game at home, which of course, like it's tough. You come back, from New Orleans on the road in a very hostile environment and a tough place to play middle of the season. And you've got a Thursday night game, but at least you're at home. Then you have 10 days off before you've got the back-to-back stretch of Detroit and Minnesota. So two pretty important division games there. And then you got your bye week. So if any team that has like, is going to have to deal with this and potentially be, you know, theirs are, you know, not in that flex window. Right. They can't really do much about it other than, I guess, say, hey, I guess we're glad that we don't have this in like an inopportune time because you don't know how they're going to flex games uh, in or out of those those windows from 13 to the end of the season. So I I'm not surprised. I mean, some of the rules changes and some of the things that were voted on uh, in Minneapolis, the league meetings that came through. And of course, like the kickoff stuff is special teams rules. Those are that's it's not something that special teams coaches wanted. So I'm very curious to see once I get a chance to kind of like really dive into that, like what the breakdown of how those rules passed was. But for the flexing of Thursday night games, I think they they might have the best schedule of anybody who's dealing with two of those games in that window for when they happen because they're both five weeks apart. I thought about it in the sense of, right, if the Bears are a competitive team, you know, or at least in the hunt, right, you know that the Mm NFL is going to want to flex them possibly into one of those games. And I'm like, could we really be dealing with a situation where – 
the Bears end up with a third Thursday night football game here? Like, I don't, I don't think they'd be allowed to. They're not allowed to because you're only allowed. Like now, the rule is now that you have two games right. um, that you're eligible for. So, like, again, I have to read up on that. Like, could those two games get moved? Already, possibly? like, I don't think they can because they're okay. before week thirteen. But right. if they only had one, then they'd be able to be. I'm. Flexed in. flex into like in that week 13 and on but okay you know frankly right now i think the schedule is pretty much set where unless they are the surprise team and in our i you know i know what people say about espn analytics because of the three percent chance that they gave the uh miami heat to win the game <laughs> or to make it out of this series with the boston celtics but like our fbi came out yesterday and they're exactly where you would expect uh, yes. the, the, to have the Bears to be. I tweeted it. I think they're at 7.8 wins. Yeah. Um, so that's what you and I have been talking about. Like, I think seven to eight wins is a team that's probably not getting flexed, probably, you know, any of those spots where they're at. Like in their games, like their Sunday night game is Halloween so or Halloween weekend. So that's before the window typically that's before the window opens and you know they've got that monday night game against the vikings like they're pretty much set i think for like where we're gonna like see them this year i wouldn't be expecting many times unless it was something about the other team maybe a team that becomes playoff eligible um with a win like maybe they could be flexed for that reason that oh yeah i didn't even think of i i guess i didn't even think of it from that aspect right like they could technically be flexed into a thursday night game if they're the away team or they're not the team that's being flexed in, right? Well, I don't think they're allowed. They're not allowed, I don't think, to play more anymore. than like two Thursday night games. Again, okay. I have to like read up on that some more. But um, they've got their allotment where they've played. They will have played two by the time yeah. flexing even begins. Yeah, let's hope, let's hope it stays that way. That's, that's all I'm saying. Like, I don't need any. I like the Bears schedule. I really do. Like, I like how the rest lays out. The mm-hmm. fact that technically we do have two times during the season where we have 10 days off i believe and then we have a bye week sure so it's it i I like how the bear schedule sits i kind of wish this was a schedule that was coming in when i believe we were going to be a lot more competitive (laughs) but that's neither here nor there that's another episode of the chicago bears podcast as always appreciate you for coming on courtney this is a uh this is this is going to be one of our biggest uh, days of the week, this and Thursdays, because you're you're just the wealth of knowledge that can ask all the questions to Coach Flus that we want. So uh, we appreciate that as always. Make sure you guys are hitting that like button, subscribe to the page, and make sure that you are tuning in Monday through Friday on the ESPN Chicago app or wherever you get your podcast. As always, it's Pat the Designer back at it again for Courtney Cronin. You guys stay safe out there, Chicago. Bird done. We got football back. Thank God. Peace.